Well, I think the school year is officially over. Maybe there's some teachers that may still have to report a little bit, but when the school year is done, I feel like summer is officially here. Like, I don't know if it is officially summer or not, but as far as school is concerned, summer is here. And uh, when I was a kid growing up, we had a tradition, a family tradition, and every year we would return to this same state park that was about 45 minutes from my house. And in fact, we'll be leaving tomorrow to go there and we're still celebrating that same tradition with my family. In fact, it was one that started when my mom was a little girl. And so our family has been going for over 50 years, has been returning every year to this state park. We rent some cabins together. Uh, when I was little, they were not nearly as air-conditioned or comfortable as they are now, so our kids don't understand the suffering that I had to go through when I was younger, sitting in front of the box fan as close as I possibly could, try to get any relief. But uh, there was this tradition within the tradition of us going on this vacation, and it was not a complete vacation unless there was a picture of the, fan, of, of the kids taken in front of what was affectionately referred to as the deer tree. And the deer tree was this tree that somehow, I don't know if it had an infection, I don't know if something fell over it, but you know how sometimes trees can take some weird shapes because of different things that happen naturally to it? Well, this tree had this weird bend in it, and then it kicked back over, and it kind of looked like the silhouette of a deer's head. You'll see it here in just a minute. Actually, you can go ahead and put that first picture up. You'll get a wonderful glimpse of, high of, uh, of Mark here. I'm the one in the middle. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So you can kind of see the top of the tree there that it kind of like sticks in. It looks a little bit like the snout of a deer. There was a lot of deer up there. For whatever reason, we called it the deer tree. And every single year, we had to get a picture in front of the deer tree. Uh, go ahead and show them the next one here. So this is like high school Mark now who, uh, go ahead, yeah. So obviously much more handsome. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Every year, we had to go to the deer tree. Now, this is what was devastating. So I called up my mom this week, and I was like, okay, we took like 8,000 pictures in front of the deer tree. Can you send me as many as you can find? And she found three. I was like, all those years of pictures in front of the deer tree, where have they gone? And it didn't stop when we graduated from high school. Here's college Mark in front of the deer tree. He was much cooler than high school Mark. And... Um, and so it was a tradition, and we couldn't not take this picture. And I don't know if your siblings are like me and my siblings, but for some reason we couldn't just go stand in front of the tree, smile, take the picture, and get out of there. I don't know why. For some reason we had decided every year that we were going to fight every year taking this picture in front of the deer tree and we found out this really neat thing that if we touched my sister for some reason anywhere on her skin it would turn this bright red and so my brother and I would take turns almost like Simon poking her to make her all red which in case would infuriate her because she would have these red speckles all over we couldn't take the picture I don't I wish we would have learned just stand I think this mark learned just stand smile and get out of here as quickly as possible well as, I was, as we were going through pictures, much to my horrific dismay, this picture showed up next. Anticipation is great. Uh, and it is my lovely little ones who have now fallen right into the tradition. I was not here when this picture was taken. And uh, that created a little bit of PTSD within me. 
Um, one of the neat things, though, is we were actually able to see how the tree grew over years, and we were able to see how we grew over the years. And when it comes to family, there's just something special about family. We know how to love and care for each other, but man, there's something about living life together that we also know what really kind of gets us going. And we, for some reason, love to push those buttons. But the reality is family is family. We know where we stand with family. And as, as much as we, uh, we, we mess with each other, the mu- as much as we fought with each other, at the end of the day, we were still family. And family comes first. There's no mystery about where you fit in your family. There may be tension, there may be dysfunction, there may be uh, uh, um, frustration and stress in your family, or maybe you came from a model family. But either way, they're your family. Every family looks different, but you know where you stand in your family. However, when it comes to God's family, it gets a little bit more confusing. When it comes to the family of God, we don't always know where we fit or even if we fit. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to embarrass the family. Perhaps you feel like the black sheep of God's family. Perhaps you feel unworthy or that you don't deserve to be there and that like somehow you snuck in when nobody was looking and you're just hoping that they don't find out. Or it could be that you're still just trying to find out if you belong or if you want to belong. What is expected of you in the family? What your role is? Can the family be trusted? Are they kind of a weird family? Do we want the same things when it comes to God's family? Wherever you are in your journey with God's family, if you're still searching, if you're a confident child of God, or if you're the funky uncle, the Bible has a lot to say about God's family and what it means to be his children. I'd like to take some time this morning to help us to better understand what it means to be in the family of God. If you've got your Bible or an app or something that's got a Bible in it, if you want to flip to the Gospel of John, we're going to take a look in the first chapter of John, and we're going to be reading starting with verses 10 through 14. But as you're turning there, the Gospel of John has one primary focus. The focus of the Gospel of John is to answer the question, who is Jesus? John's Gospel helps us understand how to look for Jesus in all of the Scripture. He wants us to see that Jesus is the yes and amen to every promise God has made throughout the history of redemption. John's gospel affirms the deity of Jesus. It affirms that he is fully God, and it also celebrates his humanity. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. In the first five verses, John establishes that Jesus' presence and his power in creation. And now in verse 10, he begins to establish his role as rescuer and restorer. John explains to us how through Jesus, the family was reunited. We're going to start in verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. If you want to take a look again back at verse 12, it says, But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
all who believe and accept. Right there in verse 12, we see the who and the how of the family that is established. The who and the how are all who believe and accept. The who is all. The how is to believe and accept. All that believe and accept have the right to become children of God. Let me point out a very important note that makes this verse uh, foundational to our faith. The word believe that's used here by John, and John uses the same word believe 98 times throughout his gospel, but it is never the noun form of the word belief. It is always the verb believe. And it's necessary for us to understand this difference. Believing is a verb, it is an action. Believing is practical and active. Believing is the tr- in the true biblical sense is not just a mental exercise. It is an active faith that yields the leadership of our lives to Christ. True faith grows and, is co- and constantly brings a person into deeper, more dependent relationship with Christ as Lord and Savior. Our own actions do not save us, but they are the result of true faith and actively believing in Christ's saving, transforming work in our lives. As a result, of our, uh, as a result our actions show our ongoing gratitude and trust in God. But remember, the verse said, all who believe and accept. How many of you know that just because a gift is given, it also needs to be received? It also needs to be accepted. God's gift, even if you have belief or a conviction about God, needs to be be received. Ask yourself the question, do you have a belief about God? Or do you have an active, relational, believing, and living out relationship with God? Because there's a big difference. In fact, statistics show that 86% of Americans believe in a God. There is a belief about God. But the statistic is much smaller for those that actually have a relationship, that would declare that they have a relationship with God. And so there's a difference between the noun belief and the verb believing. It is active, it is transforming, it is live. Look back at the second half of verse 12. It says, all that believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. A place in God's family is not something you can earn. Only when we surrender our lives to God does he give us the right to become children. Therefore, membership into God's family is by grace alone. It is a result of God's undeserved favor and mercy and kindness and help and love, and we did nothing to earn it. It was given freely. When you and I believe and accept Jesus and turn over control of our life to Jesus, it is, as we would use the term, we are born again and become children of God. 
Now, born again is kind of a strange phrase, and uh, especially amongst those who aren't Christians, but it is very important for some reason for us to introduce ourselves in that way. And so this idea of rebirth, this idea of born again, whenever you hear someone refer to themselves as born again, for some reason we also tend to want to use a southern accent when we say it too. We're like, yep, one of them there, born agains, right? I don't, it just feels right. I don't know why, but uh, for some reason... We're one of them there, born agains. But there's something important, something that's significant about our faith that is wrapped up in this idea of being born again. Do you know why rebirth is so important? Why Christians make such a big deal about being born again? This is why. Adoption into God's family is not simply a new title or privilege. Being born again shows that the depth of the relationship that God has given us gives us a completely new nature, complete with every right that a natural child of God has, the very same right that Jesus, the Son of God, has. We're not just given a new title. We're not just given new privileges. We're not just given new access. When we are born again, we are given a new nature. Everything about us is transformed. If you don't hear anything else that I have to say this morning, I want you to hear this. When it comes to the family of God, the most significant thing that happened is found right here in these verses, and it's this. We have been chosen by God, and that changes everything. You have been chosen by God, and it changes everything. We rejected him, but he still chose us. And when you are ready to believe and accept, then everything changes. Let me give you a few quick things that change when we become part of God's family. This is the first thing. The first thing is that you are given a new name, a new identity. Our names hold such significance. There is so much importance when someone remembers your name. That's why we get stressed out when we introduce ourselves to somebody and you immediately forget their name because we know that it's important that their name holds significance, that remembering their name holds weight. And often our significance hangs when other people knowing our names and remembering our names. There was once two older couples who got together to catch up, and while they were sharing dinner with each other, after the meal was eaten, the wives went into the kitchen to wash the dishes while the men sat at the table and talked. And one of the men said to his buddy, our 60th wedding anniversary is coming up, and I don't know where I want to take my wife for dinner. Where did you and your wife go for your 60th anniversary? The second man said, oh, we went to this wonderful new place downtown, but his mind went blank, and he thought and thought, but he couldn't remember the name of the restaurant. A smile broke across his face, and he asked, what do you, what do you call that flower with the really long stem and the thorns in it? A rose, you mean, his friend said. Yes, that's it, that's it. And he turned to the kitchen, and he said, hey, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we went to last week? Names are significant. Names are important, and that's why it's such a big deal for someone to remember your name. Something amazing happens when we enter God's family. Similar to a marriage, when a bride takes a new name, we too are given a new name when we enter God's family. 
Adoption into God's family is such, was such a big deal back in biblical times that often God changed the name of people to represent the new nature of that individual. Name meanings don't hold as much weight as they once did, but they were still a big deal for Melissa and I when we went to name our kids. Let me just say, you can really mess a kid up by giving them a bad name. And so we would spend so much time thinking through names. Mel would float this beautiful name, and I would show her how it could be horribly destroyed by her peers someday. (laughs) So we were a good team, but name meanings were really significant to Melissa and I. We felt that there was Uh, there was some weight to what a person's name meant. And so as we were reading through lists of names, one of the first things we always did was check what the name of the meaning was of their name. Our oldest daughter, Eliana, her name means God answers prayer. Kaya's name means pure. Brielle's name means God is my strength. And I think there's something beautiful about me yelling Brielle's name, basically me saying, God, give me strength. <laughs> Fits her so well. <laughs> Sela means praise or to pause and reflect. I think, I think Brielle, or Sela is still growing into that name. Josette means God will give the increase, which seemed appropriate for the fifth child that we had. But God also gave you a new name as well. You are called child. You are called friend, co-heir with Christ. You are called accepted, the temple of the Holy Spirit, a new creation, the righteousness of God. You are called masterpiece. You are called my beloved. You are called citizen of heaven. You are called chosen. You are called chosen. And with that new name comes a new identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You have a new name and a new identity, and the enemy who comes to kill and steal and destroy would love to remind you over and over again who you were, or more importantly, whose you were, but you are no longer slaves to sin. You are a new person, which brings me to the second thing that changes when we become a part of God's family. You are given a new role, a new purpose. We are no longer slaves. John chapter 8 verses 34 and 36 say, through 36 say this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, anyone who, was a, who, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. We are no longer slaves. We have a new role in the family. You are now called son. Your new role is son or daughter. We are no longer slaves to sin. On the cross, Jesus' death paid the price for our sin. His resurrection defeated the power of sin. And one day when he returns, he will eliminate the very presence of sin. It will be eradicated. 
You and I are no longer a slave. You are a son. You are a daughter. We are Christ's ambassadors, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are the body of Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians 12.27. And we each have a role and a part that has been appointed to us. A new name is, and a new identity is essential for us to be born again, and it gives us significance to our life. A new role and a new purpose is amazing because it gives meaning to our life. But lastly this morning, and perhaps most importantly, being a part of God's family means we are given new blood, new relationships. Being family means we're blood, and it requires blood to get us in the family. It's not like back in the day when you would cut the tip of your finger and press it against your best friend's finger and become blood brothers, which in hindsight was probably not a good idea then and certainly isn't now. It doesn't take just a droplet of blood for us to enter God's family. It required all of the blood of the Son. There's an often overlooked and misunderstood situation that takes place during the progression of the crucifixion of Jesus. There was a Jewish tradition where right before the Passover, one prisoner could be set free, and in the Gospels we see Pontius Pilate asking the crowd which prisoner they wanted freed, Jesus or a man by the name of Barabbas. We don't know much about Barabbas, but we do know that he was on death row, that he was the leader of an insurrection, or what we might know as a gang, or the leader of a riot. Some of our students will be performing a human video this morning that's going to tell you about the story of Barabbas through music and through drama. As you take a look at this human video, you're going to notice that there are some parallels that are made between the man known as Barabbas and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Take a look this morning. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like... When I was a child, I heard voices. Some would sing and some would scream. i 
be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal? You were a lover before time's beginning. You gave your love freely with holding nothing. Jesus, my Jesus. And you are the dawn that is breaking within me. And you are the sun that is rising around me, Jesus. My Jesus. It's extravagant. It doesn't Jesus, it'll always be Jesus, 
It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. Barabbas is me. He's you. He's us. We're not that different from Barabbas. We might not have found ourselves legally on death row, but we were dead in our sins. Our eternal destination was hell, and there was no way of saving ourselves. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free, but no, it was the love of the Heavenly Father. You want to know what the name Barabbas means? It means son of God. Son of God. We're not that different from Barabbas. How easily we convince ourselves that we can set ourselves free. Not only are our attempts so feeble and pathetic, but we don't even possess the right currency to purchase our own freedom. The only way we could be set free is by the love of the Heavenly Father. The Father knew that he would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas is you and I. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 we have the audacity to think that we can do it on our own or even worse we think I got saved by grace but now that I'm in this deep dark place of sin and bondage I better work hard to get myself out but you just can't do it there is only one who can and he's the one who took our place. He's the one who stood on the platform with Pilate and said silently, yes, let them have Barabbas. Take me instead. Being part of the family means that you are given new blood, but it has to come from somewhere. That blood does not run in our own veins. It doesn't course through our own system without a blood transfusion. So when this blood is shed on our behalf, a supernatural transfusion took place and the relationship that was broken between us and the Father was restored. Hebrews chapter nine, verses 14 and 15 say this. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness, our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant, a new relationship between God and his people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. We've been given a new name, a new identity, 
You've been given a new role, a new purpose for your life, but even more significantly, you've been given new blood and new relationship. And all that believe and accept this gift have the right to become children of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking we could be good enough. Forgive us for thinking we possess the ability to fix ourselves. Forgive us for missing the truth of the gospel. Forgive us for thinking that Jesus' work on the cross was not sufficient for us. That we need to add our own work to it. And help us to see clearly that when Christ said, it is finished, that was it. Father, help us to see that we are just like Barabbas, in need of a Savior, in need of being set free. And that when we're given a new name, you call us son or daughter. Father, for those that have not yet made a choice to, ex- to believe and accept this truth, I pray that this morning would be that opportunity that they would recognize they're on the outside of the family looking in, or they would recognize that they've been in and amongst the family for a long time now, but are ready to become your child. So this morning, Lord God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal that truth to their hearts. And as we give an opportunity this morning, if you recognize that you have not yet accepted that free gift of salvation, then this morning is your opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. And so if you realize that you need a restored relationship, if you realize you need a blood transfusion, if you want a new name, if you want a new identity, if you want a new role, a new purpose for your life, then you need a new blood, a new relationship. I'm simply going to ask that you would raise your hand if you recognize that you need this restored relationship, that you have a desire to be back in the family with God again. I'm not going to call you out and I'm not going to call you up. I'm just going to agree with you that there needs to be a restored relationship. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Are there others this morning? Thank you. Thank you. We agree with you as well. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize this morning that we are, in sin, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we fully recognize that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for my sin. So I put our faith and our trust in you that the finished work of Christ, when he died on the cross for my sin, put the final verdict on my relationship with you that this supernatural transaction took place and now I have the same blood of your son, Jesus Christ, coursing through our veins as well. So we give you our heart this morning. We give you our lives this morning and receive this free gift of salvation. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Forgive us this morning for choosing our own way. 
Father, for those this morning that are already in the family, but they recognize that perhaps they don't know their role or perhaps they haven't taken their role seriously or perhaps they've received and recognized Jesus for, uh, for salvation, but they have not yet allowed him to be Lord of their life. Then this morning, God, we want to surrender every part of our life to you. We want to surrender every decision. We want to surrender every motivation, every desire that we have, that they would be yours, Lord God. Father, we just don't we don't want just a new title or a new privileges. We want new relationship with you. Teach us something new about ourselves this morning, Lord God. Allow your Holy Spirit to permeate every dark corner of our heart, revealing what you still want to do in our lives, Lord God. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.